0: Boys and girls, there was once a king who wanted to prepare his son to follow him. He knew that they would come. Of course, his son had always lived in a very privileged environment. And his father knew that he could only be a good king if he would truly know his people. And so he said, son, in order to prepare you to become king in my place, I want you for a number of years to dwell among the people. I want you to find, I specifically would like you to go to this mining village. Hide your identity and just dwell among them, live with them, And work with them. That's what he did. For several years. He was one of them. He labored with them. He Went to the mines. And suddenly he disappeared. And people wondered where he went. And he returned. And then the day came. That his father abdicated the throne. And turned the throne over to him. And one of the things he did as he traveled around his kingdom to meet with his people, including the village in which he had lived, including the people among whom he had dwelt. And they were overjoyed that they were favored with a visit by their new sovereign. And they were delighted to see him. But then to their utter astonishment, as he spoke to them, he said, Do you really know who I am? I am so-and-so, and And then he unveiled the name by which they had known him, and they gasped in utter amazement, and he looked at him, he looked at their king, and they said, he's one of us, he's one of us, he dwelt among us, and so the bond of love they felt for that king was extraordinary. They honored him as their king. And yet they realized there was a very special bond that united them with him. He had dwelt among them as one of them. And this is but a faint illustration of what happened in the fullness of time. When the father sent his son into the world to dwell among us to be one of us, in order that through Him we could be reconciled with God and be bound to Him forever. And all of that is set before us in Lord's Day 14 of our Heidelberg Catechism. So please turn with me to Lord's Day 14 of our Catechism. And there we read question 35. What is the meaning of these words? He was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. The answer is that God's eternal Son, who is and continueth true and eternal God, took upon him the very nature of man, of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary by the operation of the Holy Ghost, that he might also be the true seed of David, like unto his brethren, in all things sin excepted. Question 36. What profit dost thou receive by Christ's holy conception and nativity? The answer is that he is our mediator. And with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sins wherein I was conceived and brought forth. And so this Lord's Day talks to us about the mystery of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And incarnation is simply a word that's derived from the Latin and that literally means coming into the flesh. We read it together from John 1, and the word was made flesh. That's what we mean by the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, we will consider the nature of His incarnation. What does that mean? What happened? What happened at that sacred moment in Mary's womb? God's eternal Son, who is and continues true and eternal God, took upon Him the very nature of man. So, the nature of His incarnation. Secondly, the purpose of His incarnation. Namely, that he might also be the true seed of David, like unto his brethren, all things sin excepted. And thirdly, the prophet yielded by his incarnation. Typical for the Heidelberg Catechism, the Catechism doesn't just explain the doctrine, but it all, always makes it personal. And ask the question again as it so often does. So how do what do we what benefit do we derive from this glorious reality? What does it profit us to re what profit does thou again making it very personal, what profit does thou receive by Christ's holy conception and nativity? Nativity means by his birth. And of course the answer is that he is our mediator who with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sins wherein I was conceived and brought forth. So the nature of his incarnation, the purpose of his incarnation, and the prophet yielded by the incarnation. In First Timothy 3 verse 16, so boys and girls, that's another 3 verse 16 verse everybody is familiar with John 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Of course, that speaks of the Incarnation as well. But try to remember that 1 Timothy 3, verse 16 is another very remarkable text. Because what do we read in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16? We read that great is the mystery of godliness. God manifest. In the flesh. God, the eternal God, the creator of this vast universe, manifests in the flesh. But I want you to notice something, something I think is often overlooked and misinterpreted. Notice what it does not say. It does not say, Great is the mystery of divinity, great is the mystery of theology all of which is true. No, it says, great is the mystery of godliness. And the language in the Dutch Bible is identical. Because, congregation, can you explain to me, why is it that in this fallen, corrupt, sin-infested world, why is it that there is godliness why are there throughout this world godly men and women who are living godly lives that can only be explained in light of the incarnation if christ had never come into the world to be the savior of sinners if he had not come in the fullness of time to accomplish redemption there would not be a single godly person in the world. Because by nature, we are all fallen sons and daughters of Adam. By nature, there is not an ounce of godliness in us. We are born with hearts that are hostile towards God and hostile towards His Word. What has happened throughout the history of this world until this day By God's amazing grace, fallen sons and daughters of Adam, sinners are transformed by the grace and power of God, and they become godly men and women. But that's all the fruit, you see. That's all the fruit of the incarnation. That's all the fruit of the redeeming work of Christ. And so what that emphasizes, that the ultimate goal of redemption, the ultimate goal of salvation, is not to just deliver us from hell and to give us a place in heaven. The goal of redemption is to transform us into godly men and women. And that's all the result of the incarnation. Great is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness, that in this fallen world until this day, wherever we go in the world, we find godly men and women who fear God. And none of that could have ever happened, and if by the grace of God you may be a child of God today, there's only one reason why that has happened. There's only one reason why the Holy Spirit has taken hold of your heart and transformed you, all because in the fullness of time, God's Son, the eternal Son of God, was made flesh and came into the world to be the Savior of sinners. We can truly say that that sacred moment, that sacred moment It happened in Mary's womb, that sacred moment when the Holy Spirit, by His supernatural power, accomplished a genuine conception in Mary's womb, that that moment is the hinge on which all of human history turns, that moment, that astounding moment when the eternal Creator the eternal creator of the heavens and earth literally entered history where the creator became a creature in order to redeem fallen sons and daughters of Adam. We read John 1 verse 14, that very special passage. And the word was made flesh and dwelt and tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. He walked among us. He was one of us, as we will see, like unto His brethren in all things. And congregation, I want to try to explain to you that the eternal Son of God did not only become man to enable him to suffer and die. That's what he had to do as mediator. He had to bear the full consequences of our sin. And had he not been a man, he would have been incapable of suffering and dying. But there's much more that's going on. The meaning of the incarnation is infinitely beyond that. Because what happens in the Incarnation Congregation, something happens that will never be canceled. Something happened at that moment that will endure forever. Because at that moment, God and man are reunited. God and man are reunited in the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Reunited with a bond that cannot be broken to all eternity. And you see, congregation, that is precisely what we mean by God's good pleasure. That's precisely why God sent His Son into the world. Because God's good pleasure is to bring fallen sinners back to Himself, back into a covenant relationship with Himself. And We know that God entered into that kind of relationship with the first Adam, our father. But we know that that relationship proved to be a breakable relationship. And so before the fall, God and Adam were united in this wonderful covenant love relationship. But that relationship was breakable. Now it is God's supreme wisdom that he sends the second Adam into the world in order to bring sinners back to himself. But now God establishes a bond between himself and man in the person of his son. And that's why that bond cannot ever be broken. That bond will endure forever. And that's why, listen carefully. That's why the incarnation itself, that sacred moment when God and man were united in Mary's womb, the incarnation itself is not part of Christ's humiliation. The circumstances under which it happened, they were deeply humiliating. After all, think of it, that the eternal Son of God was conceived in the womb of a sinner. This was not an immaculate conception. He was conceived in the womb of a sinner without being tainted by her sin. But you see, but the incarnation itself, because if the incarnation, listen carefully, if the incarnation itself, if that were part of his humiliation, you know what that means? That means that Christ will be forever humiliated. Because that incarnation is forever. He is forever, Emmanuel, God with us. That incarnation endures forever. And that's why it's not only the incarnate Christ who suffered and died on Calvary's cross, but it's the incarnate Christ, the incarnate Son of God, who comes out of the grave. It's the incarnate Christ who ascends into the heavens it's the incarnate Christ who sits at his father's right hand ever to live to make intercession for us it's the incarnate Christ who will come in the fullness of time to judge the living and the dead it is the incarnate Christ who will forever dwell among his people who will forever walk among them he will forever be Emmanuel That's why the incarnation, and Wilhelmus of makes that point very powerfully in his chapter on the high priestly office of Christ. The incarnation itself is God's good pleasure. The incarnation reveals God's purpose and intent. The incarnation reveals to us the very character of God. The incarnation reveals to us that it is God's eternal good pleasure to be united to a creature that bears His image. And that's why when Adam and Eve sinned, God could not deny Himself. That's why, as you know, when He calls them out of hiding, He tells them, You have broken your relationship with Me. You have believed the lie of my enemy. You have forged a friendship with Satan. I'm going to break that friendship. And I'm going to send the seed of the woman in the fullness of time in order that we can be reunited together. In order that that broken bond can be restored. But now in the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why The Apostle Paul cries out in holy amazement, Oh, great is the mystery of godliness! That's why we have this astonishing passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh. That in itself is so significant that it doesn't say the Son was made flesh, which is true. But it says, the Word was made flesh. And why is that so important? Well, again, boys and girls, when you think of words, so what do we use words for? Well, we use words to express our thoughts. Human Life would not be possible without us having the ability to communicate to someone else what's on our mind and what lives in our hearts. So by means of our words, we reveal something about ourselves. But that's because we were created in God's image. Because God Himself is a communicating God. And so when John 1 talks about the Word was made flesh the Word that was with the Father, the Word that is God Himself, the Word by whom the worlds were created, the eternal and living Word of God. You know what that means, boys and girls, that if you want to know who God is, if you want to know how God thinks, look at His Son. Look at His Son. And then it may so, it's so significant That it says, and the Word, that eternal Word by whom the heavens were made, that eternal Word was made flesh. That means that that is the ultimate statement that God makes about Himself, the ultimate revelation of His character, the ultimate revelation of His good pleasure. The Word was made flesh. Thereby God communicates, this is my desire. That's why I've sent my son into the world. So that through him, you can be again reunited to me. That's why it's not accidental, as I've explained a number of times. It's not accidental that the son became man. Not the Father, not the Holy Spirit, but the Son became man. Because it is the Son, it is in the person of the Son that the invisible God becomes visible. It is in the person of the Son that God reveals Himself. That God is knowable. No man has seen God at any time. He that is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Himself to us. And that's why it is in the sun that God brings sinners back to Himself. Even our word religion indicates that. You know what religion means, boys and girls? You know what the word religion means? Try to remember that. So religion comes from Latin. And it literally means to be reconnected. Our word ligament, right? We have ligaments that keep our, hold our bones together. Connectors. They're called ligaments. And so religion means to be reconnected. To be reunited. And that's the purpose. The great purpose of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the wonder... The wonder. Paul writes of him in Colossians 1 verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. Very God. And very man. But what's so beautiful too congregation. Is that God by the gift of his son. Oh, He he communicates and He reveals that though He is the infinitely glorious One, though He is the One whom the heavens cannot contain, His very nature is such that He desires to draw near to us. So in His Son, in Christ, He comes so very near to us. Oh, the wonder... Of god's good pleasure the wonder of what happened to mary we read it together no wonder this young woman 16 17 years old was astonished when the angel came to her and told her what would happen that she would be overshadowed by the holy spirit the spirit of christ you see if you if you read your bible carefully you read the new testament carefully you can't help but notice that those two are inseparable the spirit and Christ the spirit is the spirit of Christ of whom Christ would say later that spirit he will testify of me that spirit will glorify me that spirit will take out of me and show it unto me it is that spirit the spirit who the same spirit who who hovered across uh, uh, over that over that mass that God had created in the opening verses of the Bible, that same Spirit who hovered and who brought to life, who brought to life that which God created, who was the agent by which God brought the whole world into existence, that same Spirit miraculously overshadowed Mary and wrought in her, a genuine conception. He wrought that conception supernaturally. And so that means that the child conceived in Mary's womb, had Mary's DNA. Ultimately, it means that that child had Adam's DNA. He was made of the flesh, and of the blood of the Virgin Mary by the operation of the Holy Ghost. Oh, congregation, this truth is so foundational to the gospel. That's why I said the incarnation is a truth, is a reality on which the entire history of the world pivots. All history before that moves towards that moment in the fullness of time when that amazing event occurs. And all the history that follows it flows out of what happened in a city called Nazareth. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed the Virgin Mary. That's why in the early Christian church, it was necessary for the church to come to grips with the identity of the of, of Christ. Come to grips with this mystery of the incarnation, to safeguard it against errors that sprang up very, very quickly. And so early in the history of the church, an error surfaced, which is known as docetism and that well, that simply means that fancy word simply means that those who believe that they they denied that Jesus humanity was real they said it was just an appearance of humanity just like in the Old Testament Christ would appear in the form of a man he appeared to Joshua he appeared to Abraham and various other times but he only appeared as a man that was not a real humanity And so those in the early church who denied that propounded an error called docetism, that the humanity of Christ was only a matter of appearance. And that error was already rearing its ugly head, even when the the Apostle John was writing at the end of his life. So what does he write in 1 John 4, verse 1 and 2? He says, Beloved believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Listen carefully. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So John was saying this is really a litmus test, a litmus test for those Whose Christianity is true and genuine and is not. So those who confess that Jesus Christ has come to the flesh, they are the ones who are instructed and indwelt by the Spirit of God. So in four hundred and fifty-one there was a synod known as the Council of Chalcedon. They also had to deal with erroneous teachings about the natures of Christ. Because what we need to understand is that when that incarnation happened in Mary's womb, Christ's divine nature did not change. He remained what He had always been and always will be, the eternal Son of God. What happened is that something was united to that human nature that had never been united to it before that's why it says and the word was made flesh so he assumed our human nature so the council of chalcedon dealt with two errors there was a man by the name of nestorius and he was so intent on preserving the genuine nature of God and of man that he denied that there was any real connection between those two natures, no union between them. Then there was another bishop by the name of Eutychus who, who erred on the opposite end. He taught that Christ was a mixture, that the divine and the human were mixed in his person. And so the council, as they considered this, they came to the following conclusion. They rejected both errors, the error of Nestorius and of Eutychus. They said, the two natures of Christ are fully distinct. His divine nature is 100% divine, And his human nature is 100% human. Truly and fully distinct. Secondly, they said, those two natures are unchangeable. In other words, that the divine nature of Christ is not somehow compromised by the fact that he is united to the human nature. So those natures are distinct, they are unchangeable, and yet... They are firmly united together. That's the teaching of the Word of God. And so the catechism goes on to say that he might also be the true seed of David, like unto his brethren, in all things sin excepted. That statement itself is so very significant. There's a remarkable statement in the very last chapter of the Bible, a statement that is made by the exalted Christ Himself that connects to that statement. So turn with me to, to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verse 16. Revelation 22, verse 16. And there we read, here Christ is speaking, the exalted Christ is speaking. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. And now notice what he says about himself. This is one of those I am statements. He said, I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the root and the offspring of David. Congregation, that statement is so very important. There Christ, as it were, gives a summary of all the teaching of the Word of God about Himself. And He's saying, this is who I am. I am David's God, and I am David's son. I am David's God as to my divine nature, and I am David's son as to my human nature. That's who I am. I am the root and offspring of David. The true seed of David. Like unto his brethren all things, sin excepted. In old oh, congregation, you know that all through the Old Testament there is the promise that such a Savior would come. And we know how Satan went out of his way to prevent that from happening. Went out of his way to destroy the seed and the house of David. And he almost succeeded through Athaliah, who thought she had succeeded in destroying the house royal. There was another moment where it appeared that the house of David would come to an end. That's when Hezekiah became deathly ill, and he had not given birth to his son. That's why he wept so bitterly. Hezekiah, a man who feared God, a man who wholeheartedly believed in God's promises, a man who longed for the coming of the Messiah, who knew that God had promised that out of the house of David, the Messiah would come and hear he was about to die without a son. And God then hears his prayer, and he extends his life. And he gives birth to a son who initially proved to be an exceedingly wicked son, Manasseh. And yet even that man was transformed by the grace of God. And so the line of David was not broken. Just this week I heard someone quoting the late Reverend Den Butter, from Pete and Butter, who recently passed away, who wrote a book also about Israel and God's purposes with Israel. And I think I referenced it in my prayer, and I was struck by this statement. He said, what do we see in the Old Testament? We see in the Old Testament that Satan goes out of his way to keep Christ from coming to Israel. And he failed. But he says, now what we're seeing is that that same Satan is trying to prevent that Israel will come to Christ. And that's why that nation is the target of his anger, the target of all the violence that he, that he actually uh, uh, garnishes against that nation. And that's why God has supernaturally preserved that nation and will supernaturally preserve it because not only has Christ come to Israel, but we know that ultimately Israel will come to Christ, all as a result of the incarnation. That too must and shall happen according to the Word of God. And so he became like unto us in all things Sin accepted. And as our substitute, as our mediator, because that's the final question. So what does this mean for us? How how do we profit from this glorious truth about the incarnation? From His holy conception nativity. Namely, it says that He is our mediator. A congregation, in order for that broken relationship between God and man, for that broken relationship to be restored again. He had to become our mediator. He had to become our substitute. Paul writes of this in Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. He became subject to all that pertained to the fall of Adam. So in his humanity, before his glorification, he endured all the consequences of the fall. He had a weak body in that sense. He knew what it was to grieve. He knew what it was to be weary. He was made like unto us in all things, sin excepted. So that he could be our perfect substitute, so that He could be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, so that He could be our mediator. Because what does a mediator do? We talked about that when we considered Lord's Day 6 and 5. A mediator is the one who brings two parties together that are at odds with each other. So when there's a labor dispute, we've just had a lengthy labor dispute with the UAW, and then mediators get involved to try to bridge the gap that separates the employer and his employees. And a successful mediator will achieve precisely that. But those mediators, they have no connection to either party. But not so with this mediator, not with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ as mediator fully represents His Father's interests and at the same time fully represents the interest of His people and all so that through His perfect sacrifice on the cross of Calvary He could restore that broken covenant relationship between God and man. And that's why this is so important, congregation. That's why this is so immensely comforting also for God's children. Because, dear believer, your salvation is so secure in Him, so absolutely secure. As impossible as it is for those two natures ever to be separated, so impossible it is for you ever to be separated from God. That's why Paul could cry out triumphantly at the end of Romans 8, nothing, nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You see, that bond that unites the divine and the human nature, that bond is the everlasting warranty of your salvation. Because in Him... God is forever united to us. And in Him, we are forever united to God. In Him. Oh, He is. He is the very bond that unites God and His people. Oh, thanks be to God for such a mediator, for such a Savior. What profit dost thou receive that he he, the Emmanuel, He is our mediator. Oh, congregation, is he, is he yours? Is He yours? Do you need such a mediator? Do you need such a Savior? A Savior to reconcile you with God. A Savior through whom you a fallen, wretched, hell-worthy sinner, that you can be reconciled to God and be restored into His favor. And that's why that mediator, in His perfect humanity, had to suffer and die in your place. That's why He had to be wounded for your transgressions. He had to be bruised for your iniquities. That's why the chastisement of your peace was upon him. Because only through that sacrifice could you be reconciled with God. But what he accomplished as mediator, what he accomplished as Emmanuel, is so perfect and so complete that nothing is more secure than your salvation and your redemption. A congregation. God is so desirous that His people understand this, so desirous that they would rejoice in the fact that we have such a mediator, that we have such a high priest. Paul says, we have such a high priest, such a high priest who meets all qualifications, such a high priest who has given Himself as a perfect sacrifice, such a high priest who has paid the price for my sin, such a high priest who has quenched the wrath of God, such a high priest who has met all the requirements of God's law, such a high priest who triumphantly cried out, it is finished. But there's something else that's beautiful here with which we're going to end. Notice what it says here, and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers In the sight of God, my sins, wherein I was conceived and brought forth. This is profound congregation. You know what the Catechism is saying here? As It echoes the Word of God. That Christ's mediatorial work began the moment He was conceived. The moment He was conceived. Everything He did, He did in our place. And so when did your sinnership begin? When does our sinnership begin? It begins the moment we are conceived. The moment a child is conceived in its mother's womb, that child is under the wrath of God. The moment that happens, a sinner is conceived. And the reason why we actually begin to commit sinful deeds is because we are sinners by birth. Our sinnership begins at our conception. Now the Catechism is saying that the reason why His mediatorship begins in Mary's womb, the reason why it begins at His conception is because He, in my place, covers in His sight My sins, even wherein I was conceived and brought forth. In other words, this mediator is a complete mediator. That means this mediator has accomplished a redemption for you, believer, that covers your entire human existence from the moment you were conceived until the moment you die. All of it is covered in the sight of God. Because he was conceived with perfect innocence and in perfect holiness, he was conceived in his mother's womb. What a comfort that is. What a comfort that is. Because the painful discovery that every believer makes, it's not just my sinful actions that get me into trouble, but that painful reality that I am a sinner at the core of my being. That's why I sin, because I'm a sinner. And then this glorious truth that Christ is a complete Savior, and that for your sake, to save you and to redeem you, He was conceived in the womb of a sinner conceived in Mary's womb so that he could cover your sins, your sinful root, your original sin, your sinful core, so that he could cover it completely and accomplish for you a full and complete redemption. And that's the beauty of the sacrament of baptism because what baptism Signifies is that our children need a savior the moment they are conceived. That's the testimony of baptism. And baptism, baptism communicates to us visibly that God has provided a savior. God has provided a mediator that covers everything in the sight of God, even my sin in which I have been conceived and brought forth. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a mediator we have. Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. Dear the Apostle Paul, he was a humble man. He said, I only, I only see through a glass darkly. I only know a little bit And he said, this Christ is so glorious. This Savior is so magnificent. My words are inadequate. I don't even begin to know how to begin to describe the beauty and the preciousness of that Savior. Oh, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. 1 John 4, verse 9, in this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Congregation, do you need such a mediator? Is this Christ precious to your soul? Is this the Savior you need? Is the Christ who fits your soul as a key fits a lock? By nature, we don't need Him. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit who uncovers our sin for one reason to make room for this precious mediator. That's His work so that we will recognize. This is exactly the kind of mediator they need. This is the one through whom I can be reconciled with God. This is the one through whom I can be restored into His favor. Oh, congregation, is this Christ precious to you? Do you need such a Christ? Do you need such a Christ who is a complete Savior, who saves us to the uttermost because God forbid that you would end your journey without this mediator because apart from this mediator your sins in which you're born and conceived those sins condemn you those sins provoke God to wrath apart from this mediator you will find God to be a consuming fire. But thanks be to God that God continues precisely because of who He is. God continues to draw near to us in the preaching of the gospel to unveil to us that mediator whom He offers freely, fully, without money and without price and whom He declares if you believe in my Son, I, against whom you have sinned, if you believe in my Son, I will pardon you, and I will restore you into my favor. And so I'm sending you home with the question that Christ asked his disciples. What think ye of Christ? Amen. Our faithful God, we give thee thanks that we could be in thy house today. And Lord, we have considered tonight that overwhelming and profound mystery of godliness that God has been manifest in the flesh. That thy Son has come in the fullness of time to become our mediator so that through him we might be reconciled with thee. That through him, we could be stored into an unbreakable and everlasting covenant relationship with thee. Oh Lord, it is indeed inexpressible, unspeakable, how precious, how glorious, how magnificent this Savior is whose name is Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, may we seriously consider that question also presented to us. What do we think of this Christ and of this mediator? Lord, we pray that by grace, our confession would be with the bride when she was asked to describe her bridegroom and she said, he is white and ruddy. He is the chiefest among 10,000, yet yeah, he is altogether lovely. Go with us into this new week. <coughs> Bless the labor of our hands. Keep us safely from harm and danger. Gather with us again this coming Lord's Day. And We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.